Good morning, Austin Oaks Church. Hey, if you're uh, new with us today, we are wrapping up a series we call uh, Take It All. We've been walking through a passage that talks about how we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is just simply a metaphor of saying with everything we've got. And my name is Chad McCartney. I'm the uh, pastor of discipleship here at Austin Oaks Church, so I'm not normally up here. Uh, if you're new with us today, this isn't going to be normal, so give us another shot after today. <laughs> I'm kidding. Actually, today's going to be really unique, okay? Uh, you're going to be a little uncomfortable today in a good way because uncomfort is good. I'm going to challenge you to do some different things today, and we're going to walk through really this series in a very practical, interactive way to say, what is it in my heart, my soul, my mind, or my strength that God's wanting to work in my life? So it's very much interactive today. So here's what I'm going to need you to do really quick. I need everyone to stand up. Yeah, this has come from, so beginning of the year, January, I'm going to say I got roped into this promotional thing by a few of our staff people whose names I'm not going to name, Don, Molly, Eric. I'm not going to use any names, but, but they're part of this, have you ever heard of CG. It's this workout called Camp Gladiator where they do these workouts in public places. It's kind of embarrassing. Like, why would you work out in public like that? So they roped me into doing it with them for the month. And I kind of look at it as uh, forced participation. You got a trainer up there that's basically abusing you. I think it's abuse what they're asking you to do. And they're forcing you to participate. So I thought, I'm going to share the joy with you all a little bit. Because the number one exercise that seems like everyone hates is a thing called a burpee. You ever heard of a burpee? Yeah, I know, they're all over see. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So we're going to do five burpees as a church. Yeah, we're going to do them together. But, so, hang on, hang on. The beauty of CG is they modify things for the audience, okay, or each person. And, and so she's always saying, you can do this type, Chad. You go over there and do that workout. We're going to do the real one over here, okay? So I'm going to modify it for you. So here's what I need to do. Put your hands up like this, all five fingers, Okay. Loosen up a little bit. You want to be loose when you're doing these. Now make a fist, but keep your pointer finger up. All right? These are called finger burpees. Now, I'm going to be watching your form because if you do it wrong, you can totally throw this knuckle out. All right? You don't, we don't want that happening. Do we have any doctors in the house? Okay, finger burpees. Here's how you're going to do them. Watch first. I always watch good form because I got great form on these. Okay? You go down. You go out. You come back. You go up. That's one. Okay, that doesn't count as two. That's one burpee, okay? You with me? We're going to count them out. Ready? Down, out, back, up, one. Say that. If you, don't, if you don't count it, it doesn't count. We'll do it again. Down, out, back, up, two. Down, out, back, up, three. Down, out, back, up, four. Down, out, back, up, five. Yeah, all right. Give yourself a hand. Chad, it just made me think about the person who just walked in for the first time. And, I know. Uh, I'm so sorry. You can go ahead and sit down. And just so you know, that has absolutely nothing to do with my message, so I have to figure out how I can... Actually, it really does psychologically, but you don't know that. I'm a former teacher, so there's a total purpose and intentionality about what I just did. Because what you do in the first five minutes of any kind of meeting will set the tone for the whole rest of the meeting. And so I want you to interact in today's service. I'm going to bump you a little bit in uncomfortably to interact today in a good way. And I'm going to make sure that everyone knows how to take a step uh, in today's message. So let me pray. We're going to need some prayer for today. And then if, if you would, before I do that, in your worship guide, you have 
kind of your workout plan for today, okay? A little sheet here. It's going to guide you through our service and some of the reflection that we're going to do personally. You have that on the big sheet. And then the small one is going to be our final step that we're going to take. This is your commitment card at the end of the service, okay? It's going to come off of this one. So work with these two things together. I'll walk you through it today. Let's pray. Father, we are excited to be here. I know there's lots of people that are at HEB right now, and they're preparing for some strange event that's going to happen later on, and they think it's the end-all and be-all of life. But I'll tell you what, God, as much as Super Bowl tickets may sell for and what people are willing to pay to be there, and there's nothing wrong with football. I love sports. I love enjoying them. But nothing will compare to that first moment we spend fully in your presence. Man, every Super Bowl will be forgotten in a moment. And all of eternity will be filled with a joy that is absolutely incomprehensible to us now. So Lord, um, my, my pr- I have a real simple prayer this, this morning, Lord. I just want you to do a work in each of our hearts, our souls, our minds, and in our strength. Spirit, would would you move freely in our midst to reveal to each one of us what has been a barrier in us fully experiencing the joy that's available through Jesus Christ? Lord, would you do that work for your glory and for our good this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the year was 2003, and I just finished up my last year of, of seminary. I'd come out of a 10-year teaching career and coaching, transitioning into ministry, so I was just finished up with seminary, which totally prepares you for everything you're going to experience in ministry, trust me. Yeah, you can laugh at that. And so we had some different opportunities that were before us, and and the one that just kept tugging on our hearts that we couldn't fully explain was an associate role in Laredo, Texas. If you know where Laredo is, you just get on 35 and go until you hit the border, and it's a a large border town right on the border of, uh, of Mexico. And if you know anything about Laredo, Laredo is probably one of the most unique border towns we have for a couple reasons. It's been ranked as the least diverse city in America. Yeah, I see you're kind of squatting your eyes because it's totally backwards from what the rest of us would think. Laredo is 98% Hispanic. There's less than a 1% Anglo population and it's spread out with Filipino and and several others there, but it's so uh, overwhelmingly uniracial in a sense that it's considered the least diverse city in America. It's also ranked in another area uh, by the Southern Baptists. They did studies a number of years ago on cities in America, and Laredo was ranked as the least evangelized city in America. So here I am, a Midwestern boy. Our kids, all of us, we come flooding in and pretty much triple the Anglo population in the city with our five kids we come in. And, and you know, it's a little uncomfortable. We feel very different. We're totally out of our context. Very unique situation. And the beauty was, it only got stranger. Right? A year and a half in, and every, path, every staff person on our staff had left the church for one reason or another, except for my secretary. So it was her and I. The elders were trying to decide, you know, who's going to become the next senior pastor? So they flip a coin between her and I, <laughs> and the coin landed on me. 
At which time the elders all looked at each other and said, how about best out of three? (laughs) And sure enough, they flipped it again and it landed on me again. And here I was starting after just a year and a half of experience in a very different environment, extremely uncomfortable, and now I'm having to lead and hire a whole staff. I'd never hired another person in my life. And it was incredibly uncomfortable. Stretched us tremendously. Last Sunday, I was gone uh, back to Laredo to participate in a groundbreaking for our, our second location in Laredo. Our vision was to plant a healthy church in all six zip codes of that city so people would have an opportunity to meet Jesus and walk with him. Uh, And it was one of the most exciting, just exhilarating experiences to see that happen. And that 15 years completely has changed who I am. I'm still working through all that God's done in our lives during that season. My guess is in a room this size, all of you get this idea of being uncomfortable in different situations. How many of you have ever taken a, like a college class before? Remember going off to college and that first test or paper and you're freaking out, you're so uncomfortable, this is so different than high school and they expect so much more for you. You are incredibly uncomfortable. But being in that place of uncomfort and pushing through it stretched you to become who you are today. How many of you remember your, your first job interview? Remember how scared you were in that, right? You're going in, oh my goodness, you're so nervous and super uncomfortable, but that led on to a career that would stretch you in all kinds of different ways. Maybe it was your first date or asking your spouse to marry you and how uncomfortable, how awkward maybe that was, but you pushed through it and now where it's brought you to. Or I think of a gym membership, right? Everyone's January, we're all thinking about fitness goals and you get that first gym membership and you go in and man, you're really uncomfortable the first time you're in the weight room or, or in an exercise class. They make you really uncomfortable, but it helps you stretch to become who you're intended to come. Becoming what you want to become never happens when you're comfortable. That's why you don't see recliners in the gym. You can't become what you want to become and stay comfortable. In fact, I love this quote. I purposely picked it because it may be the only time the Cowboys will be active on Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) I'm a huge Cowboys fan. It's just been a little bit of a disappointing season, all right? So I just thought, I'm going to bring up good old Tom Landry uh, to remember us. But I love this quote. This quote has always stuck with me, he, it is his quote on what discipline is or what a, a leader does when he's leading others. It says, it's getting people to do what they don't want to do so they can become what they do want to become. A good leader makes people uncomfortable for the goal of making them better. So that's our heart today. I'm going to stretch you a little bit, ask you to do some things that may be a little outside your comfort zone. We're going to interact in a little bit more. But I believe it's for your own good. And I believe if you will engage, you will leave here a different person than you came. If you have your Bible with you, today we're going to start in Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to put all these verses up front as well. So if you're not familiar with all these books of the Bible, you can follow along there. But if you want to, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 13 uh, and, and answer this question. Why should we be joyfully uncomfortable in order to love God with all we got? 
Why should we be joyfully uncomfortable in order to love God with all we got? Why why should we do that? This parable, one of my favorite parables in the Bible, because I think it captures the heart of God and his kingdom and everything in in one verse, basically, one or two verses, is, I think, a good place to start. So let's take a look at it. In Matthew chapter 13, there's several parables where Jesus is teaching his disciples different aspects of the kingdom. But this one uh, is one of my favorites. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied Then in his joy, if you have your Bible with you, circle that, highlight it. This is the most important word in this passage because it communicates something that Jesus wants us to understand. In his joy, look what he did. He goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. See, the heart of this truth, the heart of God's kingdom is that, that whatever is most important to us, whatever is of greatest value to us, we will spend everything else we have to get that. We will always give what we have to get what is most valuable to us. That's not a problem. It's not a problem that we give up things to get other things. That's never the problem. It's wrong or it's a problem when what we're giving up is of greater value than what we're receiving. That's a problem. You'd never go to the store and say, oh, they got eggs here for $1.90. I'm going to give them 20 bucks. If someone kept doing that, you'd say, you got a problem. That's not good. Right? The only reason you should spend money is because you believe you're getting something that's of greater value than what you're giving. So here's the heart that we need to start with. The value of God's kingdom exceeds the value of anything we might possess. That's what Jesus is teaching us. The value of God's kingdom exceeds the value of anything we might possess. You see, you never lack joy when you spend your money on a great deal, do you? You never come home from the store and say, oh, dang it, I saved so much money today. I got such a good deal on this car that we bought. Man, I'm just disappointed. No, like you're super excited, right? So when I go to Laredo, one of the things I always do with the two guys that are our main, main pastors down there now, we've been good friends for years, and we always go out to the Pulga in Laredo. And you probably have no idea what I'm talking about when I say the Pulga. The Pulga is the flea market out just outside of town. And they put up a new flea market, and I love to get a good deal. Like we go out there and we just get excited. And so we said, we fit everything in the weekend. We went out to the Pulga, the three of us, and we were going to go shopping. And our little mantra when we go to the Pulga is you, you can't get too excited because if you're going to bargain and heckle and do that whole thing, you got to be real cool about it. So our phrase was always, don't go to the Pulga. Let the Pulga come to you. So we're driving out there, and I'm just getting excited. They've been down there. I hadn't been there for a year and a half, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness, I'm amping up. It's like I'm going to the Super Bowl, and they're just going, Chad, 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 calm down. Don't go to the Pulga. Let the Pulga come to you. But you can ask my wife, man, when I come home from the Pulga, I'm always full of joy because I always get a great deal. I believe that what I gave to get something was far less than what I received. Many people in this world are too busy to obey God. And the reason they're too busy to obey God is because they believe what they possess now and what they're going after is much more valuable than God's kingdom. That may be some of you here today. 
And, and you know what? That's normal. It's until you understand the value of God's kingdom, you're, this is what we're wired to do. We're always going to go after what we believe is of greatest value. That's not the worst state to be in until your eyes are open to the value of God's kingdom. Do you know what the worst state of a person is? And there's lots of these in the church today. The worst state of a person is the person who's in the church, around the church, and they're doing all the things that God says they should do, but they have a cantankerous, bitter, joyless spirit in the midst of it. That's the absolute worst state. Because you're in a spot where you know the value of God's kingdom, and yet, do you know why we lack joy? Always, this is the heart of it, why we lack joy while we're angry, while we're bitter, while we're cantankerous. It's because we believe what we're giving up to serve God is more valuable than what we're getting. We perceive a loss as if we're getting the short end of the stick. And that's so appalling to God to think that we have something to give that's of greater value than Him. And yet churches are filled with that kind of people. We've all probably been there at times. See, if we don't get this, we miss the whole point of this. I'm not going to come here and tell you, hey, give God all this stuff because it's just a drudgery that we got to do. No. I believe with all my heart that if you will give him your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, you won't even come close to getting the short end of the deal. That's the journey we want to go on today. So let's look at our heart and our soul passages that we're going to start with, and then we're going to respond a little bit to that uh, from there. First one's and in the Psalms. So Psalm 37.4 says this, this is a very familiar passage oftentimes, is this. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. We love the second half of this verse, probably some of our favorite verses. Oh, I get the desires of my heart, so God, give me this, give me this, give me this. But this is a conditional statement. The second half is based on the first half. And the command in this passage is this right here. Take delight in the Lord. Meaning, make Him your greatest desire. And when He is your primary desire, then He'll give you every other desire of your heart. Why? Because you're desiring Him first and foremost. You're going to then love everything that He has for you. That's how He's wired us. See, when we exercise greed, and a lot of us are greedy, we just want more stuff, we believe that the value of this world exceeds the value of God's kingdom. And so we cling to our stuff. We hang on to it because we think, if I lose any of this stuff, I'm going to lose what's most valuable. I'm not going to be able to get the stuff that I really think is most important. So we cling to our stuff. That's what greed is. It's a desire that rips our hearts apart. If you need acceptance and honor from other people more than anything, there's nothing wrong with acceptance and honor from other people. But if it's your primary desire, if you have to be accepted by others, first and foremost, you will do everything you can to begin pleasing people over God. And you'll miss out on the greater desire of just pleasing God through Christ. 
It'll totally wreck your life. Anxiety. Do you know what anxiety is at its heart and soul? It's rampant in, in lives today. It's one of the highest issues that we face as a nation in the most wealthy nation in the world. Anxiety runs rampant. And I know there's more to it than just this spiritual heart. There's physical aspects, but at the heart of it is this. Anxiety comes from any time we place a desire in our hearts on something in this world that can never fully satisfy it. All you can ever and only have in that scenario is anxiety. In fact, God's designed you to have anxiety in that setting because it's supposed to tell you this won't support it. Like if I were to, to get up and stand on top of this table or on, on this white one and just try to jump right here and get on top of it, I, I, would, I should have some anxiety in that because it's not going to support me. And I should go, oh, that's kind of a dumb idea. Maybe I won't put my trust in jumping on that table. But when we continue to put our desires in things that can never support them, you have chosen a life of total anxiety. No matter what, even in a 70-year marriage, a incredibly faithful marriage, guess what? If it, your hope is fully in that spouse, they're going to leave you. They're going to die at some point. That cannot support the desires that God's given you. Only He can. So here's what I want you to do. Here's the first reflection in our morning. Excuse me, here's your first point, and then we'll get to the reflection. When my primary delight is God, my secondary delights will be granted. When my primary delight is God, my secondary delights will be granted. It's not that these other things are bad. They're just not ultimate. They're not designed to support your ultimate desire. So direct your desires and your delight to God and then you'll see him begin to grant the other ones in your life. So here's my reflection for you. What desire is consuming your life instead of strengthening it? What desire is consuming your life instead of strengthening? I want you just to, to ponder that. Pray, talk to God, ask him. Write it in your notes there. You don't have to share it with your neighbor. You set to write it in your own. This is a conversation between you and God. God, do I need, do I love money too much? Do I, I love acceptance too much? Lord, is my success in my career or, or whatever, my pursuit, school or athletics, is that driving my life, Lord? What desire is inordinate in my life? Ask him that. And write down what you hear him telling you. All right, so we've done a little heart work, getting used to this. That was easy. That was pretty safe. Just you and God. Just be real. Be honest. He already knows. Let's look at the second part, our soul. I love the Psalms because the Psalms capture our soul. I'm going to use soul to refer to kind of our inner life, our emotions. is kind of our soul. It's our non-material part. Uh, and the Psalms are littered with different expressions of our souls. 
It's the great worship book of souls. And here's what I want you to understand too, is in the Psalms, 150 different Psalms, a third of them are lament Psalms. Meaning a third of them express just despair and anger and frustration and brokenness in our emotions. Meaning that's a good part of our lives. Right? And we kind of push that stuff aside sometimes in church and we try to just have this happy-go-lucky thought all the time and realizing this is part of it. Especially in Western America, we think that strength is when we don't show any of those emotions. I can push through this situation. Yeah, I just lost half my family, but I'm not going to shed a tear because I'm strong. That's not strength. That's actually weakness. It's an inability to be the human that God created you to be. And the Psalms are littered with people expressing emotions in a proper way. I want you to see that. I'm going to look at at both sides of the spectrum to show that we have here. So Psalm 13 is a great one. It says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Psalm 13 is a unique psalm. There are several like this, but because it's called an open psalm. There's no resolution in this psalm. You hear his complaint, you hear him crying out, and he never gets an answer within the psalm. He just comes to the end, and it's almost like he's given up, and he just says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. There's nothing else I can do. There's nothing in this world that can fix this, so I'm going to trust you even though I don't understand it. And you know what? God is okay with that. In fact, God doesn't want you to get rid of your anger and your sadness. He honestly thinks that your anger and sadness aren't strong enough. The problem is not that they're too strong. The problem is where you direct them. We spew them out on everyone else around us that can't do anything about it. And God's saying, bring this to me. Wrestle with me. Just like this psalmist is. Just like many of the psalmists. You start there and work yourself down to where you trust me even when you don't understand what's happening in life. Look at the other side of this. This is the joyful side. It says, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a jubilant cry. Just picture a church that was doing this kind of stuff. It doesn't happen a whole lot in the Western world because we're so composed, right? We have a certain um, a level of emotion. We'll go in either direction at church. Now, we'll scream our heads off over a Super Bowl game that has such eternal consequences But when we come to the presence of God, we're right here. We're safe. This is kind of where, remember that? This is where I'm safe. I'm staying right in here. This is church. But I'll do this at the Super Bowl. Right? We're messed up. I'm just saying. The Bible tells us that. That's a paraphrase of what the Bible says. We're messed up. It says, hallelujah. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his powerful acts. There we go. Come on. Now we're talking. Praise him for his abundant greatness. Praise him with trumpet blast. Praise him with harp and lyre. I don't want to hear anyone complaining to JJ about how loud the music is. They're blasting trumpets out here, man. They're getting after it. Listen to this. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and flute. 
Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah, isn't that good? So here's your point. Yeah, that is good. We're comfortable with this as Anglos, aren't we? This is really good. Hey, I'm getting pretty excited. Woo, I think the Spirit's filling me. Let's clap a little bit. None of these other things. Don't ask me to dance, man. You don't want to see this white man dance. But you'll know we're in heaven when you see that happen. When my soul loves God supremely, my emotions will be expressed properly. So your problem isn't too much sadness or anger. Your problem isn't too much joy or happiness. Your problem is they're not nearly as strong as they should be. And they're not being directed properly towards the one who deserves them and can handle them. Why can't we express more passionate emotion in worship than we can over a sports game? Why can't we be even more upset with the brokenness of this world to the point where we're crying out to God for justice and then we're acting out in a way to be part of his kingdom coming about in this world. Who should stir more emotion in us than God? Let me leave you with this thought here to ponder. I want you to write again. What emotion are you mishandling by failing to bring it to God? What emotion are you mishandling by failing to bring it to God. Like maybe you're bringing all your joy to your sporting events or other things in your life when you need to be bringing that first and foremost to God. Or maybe you're bringing all your anger and tanking it out on your family and friends and people at work when you need to be wrestling that out, whatever injustice you perceive, you wrestle it out with God and let Him handle the outcome. What is it? Write yours down. And in a minute... I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable, okay? So get ready. All right, you guys ready to stretch? We're going to do now a church burpee. This is called a church, spiritual church burpee. I'm going to challenge each one of you to pray with someone else in this congregation. Okay, I want it no more than two, maybe three. Don't leave anyone out, so check around you to make sure. And here's what I'm going to do. This is really simple. Okay, but don't underestimate the power of just bringing these things to God as the church. This is our top opportunity to be the church this morning. It's not this building, it's you and I. So you're going to find one person next to you. It might be your spouse right next to you. It might be a totally brand new person next to you. Just introduce yourself when you get to that point. Make sure there's no one alone so you can get in groups of three. But this is short and quick, not to drag it out. It's real simple. You're going to share with one person in your group or the other one say, this is my thing, it's my heart, or it's a desire I have, or this is my soul, it's an emotion I'm struggling with. You don't have to go into all the details. You just say, I, I want God to take my desires. I want him to deal with my emotions. That's it. And then you're going to pray for each other in that area. Not a huge, long, wordy prayer because God doesn't need that. He just wants to see us dependent on him and just say, God, would you help my sister here with her desires? May she find her delight in you, God. That's it. Would you help them with their emotions? May they 
find them resolved in you rather than spilled out on everyone else. Are you with me on this? It's just a conversation. If you've never prayed to God before, how awesome. You get your first chance today in his church where we would love to help you do that. Find one other person, share your one thing of those two that you want them to pray for you and then pray for each other. And in a moment, we're going to call you into a couple songs of worship around these two things, your heart and your soul. All right? Go for it. Short and sweet, short and sweet. Look around. If someone doesn't have a partner, bring them in with you. Beautiful church. You were being the church. Yeah, you were. All right, we're moving on. That was heart and soul. Now we got to do mind and strength. They're shorter. They'll be quicker, I promise you. But they're really important. Okay, so we want to get into our mind now. Uh, and I want you to see a passage that I think is one of the most powerful passages in the Bible about the mind and one of the most misunderstood and how it's used. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this. He says, For although we live in the flesh, meaning we live in these earthly bodies, we do not wage war according to these earthly bodies. He says, Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Now here's where people make mistakes. Immediately we go to, oh, they're talking about strongholds up in the heavens and tearing down demons and all those things. No, Paul tells us exactly where these strongholds exist. Look at this. He says, we're demolition of strongholds. He says, we demolish arguments. Any of you ever have an argument you run over and over in your head before? Against someone else maybe, right? Or just a, a record you play? That's what he's talking about. Those kinds of things that run in our heads over and over against. Arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, what we think in our minds is what plays out in our lives. It plays out in our emotions. When we have wrong emotional responses, it's because we're thinking improperly about something. We have a wrong perspective. One of the greatest ones we deal with here in America is our American dream. We are pumped with this idea that life should get better. We should be able to pursue happiness here in, in this world. And that sounds really great, and it's maybe great for an earthly kingdom, but we're not part of an earthly kingdom. But we keep thinking that as I move on in life, life should get easier and better. I should make more money. My house should get bigger. My clothes should be nicer. My body should look better. Okay, maybe not that last one. But the other ones, right? We are progressing all the time in life. But where does this say that in the Bible? I mean, at least the Savior that I see in the Bible had his most comfortable moment when he was born. And he was in a manger in a cave. And it went down from there. All the way to the cross. You see, when we have a mindset that says, I deserve a better life as I go on here in this world, you have a stronghold in your mind that will absolutely crush you from ever being 
fully alive in Christ. Because you're thinking that this world is going to provide that joy, and it won't. It's not that Jesus had this kill-joy spirit, and that was his life. It's because he knew the kingdom he was going towards was so much greater than his present kingdom that he could care less what was stripped from him in this world. It would be, it'll be like this. If I, if I came out right now with a whole big bag of McDonald's cheeseburgers and I started passing them out and saying, hey, you want a cheeseburger? You want a cheeseburger? But I told you, if you take this cheeseburger, you can have it right now. But if you'll pass on the cheeseburger right now, I'm going to take you out to Ruth Chris for a center cut tenderloin two-inch medium rare steak. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm talking about. That guy understands the kingdom right there. Right? So suddenly when I offer you that, is it that hard to say no to the cheeseburger? Should I say, oh, woe is me. I can't eat the cheeseburger. I'm such a poor soul. I got to go to Ruth Chris now, but I got to wait a little bit. No. That's a mindset. That's a stronghold in our minds that Jesus says, you got to tear those down. When I engage the battle in my mind, I will win the battle in my body. If you don't ever battle in your mind, if you don't ever tear these things out and confront them with truth, you're destined to lose in your body. It's all you can do. When you don't confront expectations in your mind that are not biblical expectations, you'll be a slave to them forever. When you don't confront your worldview, you'll be a slave to it. When you don't confront lies that you believe about yourself in your mind that maybe people have said to you, maybe in your upbringing or in workplaces or at school, all these things that were said that become strongholds in your mind. And if you don't confront them and take them captive with the truth, you'll never win the battle in your body. You gotta confront lies you believe about God Just like the Garden of Eden, the first lie in the garden was a stronghold that's never let go since then. Do you remember when the Satan was tempting Eve and he says, hey, why would you not want to eat that fruit? I mean, God's got to be holding back on you. There's got to be something better for you. If you just grab that fruit, it's going to be so much better. And she let that take hold in her mind. And we have not let it go ever since. Most of us struggle to obey God because we think He's holding out on us. You don't really believe His kingdom is as valuable as we read about and that there's something you're going to miss out on in this world. That's a stronghold. If you don't tear that down, then you're destined to unhappy, joyless Christianity the rest of your life. Here's the reflection. Think about this. What thoughts do you need to take captive and tear down? What's one that stuck out to you? What is the Spirit bringing to your mind right now that's a lie in your head that you keep running over and over again? Write that down. Does it deal with expectations? Does it deal with shameful thoughts of who you think you are that aren't consistent with how God sees you? What are those thoughts? 
All right, let's move on to our last one, strength. Strength. Our abilities and things we're able to accomplish. Paul, Paul, two places Paul speaks to us about this. One in Philippians, one in Ephesians we're going to see. This is a, a familiar passage, again, often taken out of context. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. He's talking about circumstances. That's the whole thing. Any circumstance, not that he creates, that he happens to face in this world, hungry or well-fed. He says, I am able to do all things. Take that. If you have your Bible, circle things and draw it back to circumstances. I am able to do all circumstances through him who strengthens me. This isn't some Western mindset of me can be all I want to be and just stick it on my shirt and I can become the president if I want to in Christ who strengthens me. That has nothing to do with this. Paul's talking about life circumstances that come your way that it doesn't matter what you face, what this world throws at you. He can go through them through Christ who strengthens him. Paul has a perspective in life that says, there's nothing this world can throw at me that can knock me down when I'm walking in the truth of Christ Jesus my Lord. It's not a self-help verse. It's a self or a God-strengthening verse that lets you walk through whatever you're facing. Ephesians, he does the same thing. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. When I find my strength from above, I will win the war here below. It's my last point for you. When I find my strength from above, I will win the battle here below. You see, when you lack the strength of Christ, you will lack contentment in this life. And you'll seek to find it, use all your strength to try to get it here in this world and hang on to it, and you'll never be happy. You'll, you'll overwork to achieve worldly success. That's what you'll do. You'll, you'll work way too hard and exhaust yourself trying to get, use your strength to get something that can never sustain you. You'll use all your strength to pursue physical beauty and try to capture that and hang on to it. And let me, let me just tell you, every morning I get up and look in the mirror, I realize that's a losing battle. You're not going to look any better than you do today. It's only going to get worse. Quit exhausting yourself trying to look better in this world. Yeah, some of you are just starting to get it. Just look, at your, look to your neighbor and go, wow, you don't look nearly as good as you did last Sunday. Just laugh it off. So who cares? I'm being renewed on the inside and I look better in here than I did last week. Some of you are spending all your strength to please people and, and seek acceptance over just abiding in Christ's acceptance. You gotta put your strength back in Him and live in Him. So let me leave you with this one and we're gonna end with a kind of a responsive time, some singing and a final commitment. But, but where are you relying too much on your own strength and ability instead of embracing God's? Where is that happening in your life? Take a moment, write it down. Have that conversation with God. Be honest. 
because he knows. We're going to sing a song that captures this mind part really well, speaks truth into who we are. And and in the midst of this song, I'm going to come up and I'm going to read some scriptures, just a string of scriptures I put together that speak about who we are as the church. I just want you to, to just breathe and let them wash over your mind. Just receive these truths and let them tear down any lies that you're running in your head. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if the Son sets you free, You will be free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You can sit down real quick. We're going to close with kind of a response, but I want to leave you with something quick. Not close, but close this part of the service. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Those two words should not be in the same sentence, joy and the cross. There's no greater antithemy in the the creation than those two things together. How could Jesus have such joy in going to such a horrific death unless he knew something of infinitely greater worth? awaited him. 
See, Jesus already knew that joy. He'd had it for eternity past. So what would possibly cause him to come here? How could he possibly have more joy than what he already had in the Father's presence? There's only one way you can multiply your joy. And it's when you include someone else in that joy. You know, when you find a great restaurant or you meet a a phenomenal person or you have an incredible vacation and you're so filled with joy over it, the only way you can increase that is to take someone to the restaurant and experience it with them or take them on that vacation or bring them to meet that person. And that's what Jesus did for you and for me. He had known that joy. And the only way it could ever be greater in his life is to be able to share it with others that he loved. And so he was willing to give it all on this earth because he knew the infinite joy of the kingdom to come. So as we sing this last song, this is your response. This is your opportunity to to make what we did today real in your life. You have this little card in your worship guide as well you wrote four different things heart soul mind and strength this is the one of those four which one is the dam that will break free the other ones in your life write that down on here and as we sing this last song as we go into celebrating communion you bring that to the Lord and you say it's yours God I trust you And I want the greater joy that you have for me.